welcome to Ghost Riders Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know, if you were a cryptid, what cryptid would you be? I would be the Mothman. Since this episode drops on Valentine's Day, I wanted to convey my favorite part of the holiday, which is more of a solitary thing. To me, it's about love from a distance and the construction of a love letter in whatever form that is. That could be a stretch for what I'm going to share, but I think the setting fits. Predominantly, we're going to be in the Wolf of Ware's study, and he is taking up Ink and Quill. This is a novel in progress that I'm drafting, and the working title is Knowing Death. The Wolf of Ware shut the door and turned the lock. A thrill ribboned around him, and he unfurled into bliss at the prospects of a day of solitude sealed off from the outside world. He threw back his arms and allowed his overcoat to sag to the floor. It slouched carelessly against the wall with his discarded bag. The dishevelment was discordant against the backdrop of his sparkling home. Giving way to exuberance, he bounded to the center of his expansive foyer, hugging himself in a twirl. A tidy squeal trilled from the back of his throat, a stray spark from the fireworks blooming within him. He kicked off his penny loafers. They climbed to new heights like a juggler's flaming pins during the final act, clattering to the ground like the stir of applause. He vaulted up the stairs and slid into his study. A crate of sand was keeping cozy by the fire. He raked his fingers through it, excavating three reptilian eggs, waiting to hatch into monitor lizards. Blowing them a kiss, he strode to the stone masonry wall. His fingers trailed along the grooves in the mortar, halting when they reached a familiar blemish. He decompressed a nondescript stone and the wall gave way to a threshold lined with a modest shelf of eyeglasses. Tucking in his lips and drawing a finger down his chin, he surveyed the spectacles, settling on a tortoiseshell horn-rimmed pair. He slid them on and admired them in a full-length mirror neighboring the eyeglass shelves. Today was a studious day. He wanted to embody the role. Plucking a rich burgundy robe from within the hidden chamber and sweeping it over himself, he ducked to a lower row of shelves and procured a soft pair of pillowy slippers. His feet all but sang inside of them. With his wardrobe now complete, he sealed off the shallow chamber and rejoined the eggs. It was time for their christening. Branding eggs was good fortune. It encouraged the quickening life within to germinate into their namesake. That's what he was told, anyway. The black market seller could have been a slick, but what was there to gain by the suggestion? With the gentle adoration of a father-to-be, the wolf collected the eggs and journeyed them to his writing desk. Three beautiful quills and inkwells lay in wait for such an occasion. Midnight blue, leafy green, and goose egg gold. He laced his fingers and turned out his palms with a crack, waggling his digits to sample their fluidity. Now, who is first? He studied the eggs a moment. Checo, I think midnight blue will suit you. The wolf dipped a black quill into the deep blue ink, testing its viscosity. Satisfied, he made a few practice marks on some old stationery and set to work. Eggshells were a new medium for him, but the letter C was pretty forgiving. His quill bled blue in a careful arc, looping the bottom into an elegant curl. He paused to admire his progress. The H swooped up tall and lean, dipping its second foot like a graceful bow. The E broke away and flowed right into the K, which hooked its second foot like a long ladle. He slashed out serifs before circling the O, concluding with a curly Q crown. 
He set the black quill aside and plucked up a gold one, drowning its tip in the leafy green inkwell. Sveet flowed out like a rolling hillside. Then with his red quill, the wolf scrawled a moor in goose egg gold. The ink shimmered with regal pride. He crowded the eggs together to admire his work. His calligraphy was fair at best, but the eggs wore their brands with polished charm. When he was satisfied their ink had dried, he slipped them into his robe and spirited them back to their coveted sandbox. This is a scene that I really haven't fiddled with much. It flowed quite easily from me. I wasn't sure how it would fit into the rest of the story, but what we're missing here is Amor's origin story. So the black market seller that I'm referring to in this scene is Vector Scott. So he coerces the wolf somehow into owning these eggs or buying these eggs. I don't know if that's because the wolf lost a bet or if he was seeking these eggs out, but somehow the wolf comes to possess these eggs. It was important important to me that Amor have this gold and regalness to her branding because eventually she is going to end up in Valix's hands. His immortality was reminiscent of the sun. So whenever I describe him, he has elements to the sun in him. His hair is a golden color. His eyes are amber. His skin has a summer sheen to it. And I want Dahlia to be the complement to that. I wanted her name to be a flower because Olga has a lot of parallelism to gardening and bouquets. She makes a statement, which I believe I had shared previously about Dahlia being her most prized flower. So I was very selective in picking a flower that looked like a sunburst. Every year I have a new grave flower for Quidley and one of them was Dahlia's and I thought this is a flower for her. This book is a tribute to her. It's my grief story. It's my journey through the grieving process. I always equated Quidley to the sun and so that's why the sun is such a prominent driving force in this. That's why amour, which means love, has this illumination to it. What's funny to me is amour does not hatch under the wolf's tutelage. In fact, there's a chapter that I'm really struggling with right now because when I wrote it, I was so proud of it. I'm like, this is it. Nailed it. And then months later when I went back and reread it, I thought, ooh, this scene is terrible. How can I salvage this scene? And every time I try to rework it, instead of making it better, I'm making it worse and worse. I've been wanting to share it so bad, but it's just not ready. It's too rocky. There's so much more to it, and I feel like if I share it, it'll be a little premature for what I envision. But in that scene, the wolf seeks out Vector Scott and says, take this egg back. It never hatched. It's a dud. And essentially, Vector Scott says, all sales are final. So the wolf is stuck with this egg. And so then he gives the egg to Valik as offering for Valik's lady patron. And Valik gives it to Dahlia. And under Dahlia's ownership, the egg hatches. And here is Amor, the love lizard. And Amor, even though she is Dahlia's monitor lizard, really takes a liking to Olga. And Olga hates this lizard. She hates what the lizard stands for. She thinks it's dark magic. It's from dark magic. She thinks Valik is a vampire. And this is his ward set to spy on her and Dahlia in their household. But eventually Amor is going to wear Olga down to the point where they have this camaraderie. And I have this night wedding planned for Valik and Dahlia where all these lanterns are lit and Olga walks in with Amor as her escort and after the wedding ceremony they slither off to the cottage to leave the newlyweds to their own devices. 
The wolf will have his two remaining lizards, Checo and Svit, but beyond that, I don't know much. I've often had lots of ideas pop into my head where Valik is invited into the Wolf of Ware's home and he sees these lizards. They were all just possibilities for me to figure out how Valik would come by this unhatched egg, where maybe he buys it off the wolf, but really what it comes down to is, and I have already written this scene, Valik is in a prayer temple and the wolf sneaks in and gives up this egg for Valik to use as offering for his lady patron. But the whole symbolism behind this is the Wolf of Ware is looking for love in all the wrong places, and the whole point is for a more to not hatch under his tutelage because his love life just isn't hatching out the way he wants it to. I think this is one of the scenes where I really grew to love the Wolf of Ware. You know, Valik has always been the centerpiece for this novel. I've held on to this character for so long, but the Wolf of Ware really came out of left field, so I didn't really know him that well. And so this scene was one of the first spaces for me to learn about him and his personal life. It was so much fun. I love how unrestrained he is, especially because when he's in public, the wolf of wear is always posturing. If we were to break the wolf down into sun signs and moon signs, I would say the wolf's sun sign, what he exudes to the public, what his extroverted self is, is this confident bargain-based character. But when he comes home, he unwinds into more of his moon sign, which is solitary, studious, giddy, goofy, pursuer of the fine arts, reveling in lavish comfort, robes, slippers, these tortoiseshell horn-rimmed glasses, which remind me of a well-read man of prestige. Yet he has this childlike self where he's digging in this sandbox for incubated eggs. Such a mashup. But that's how I feel in my own home. I have all of myself laid out and I can be all of them in one moment where no one is monitoring me. It's very freeing. If you're writing something, we'd love to hear about it. Feel free to email us at gwritersanon at gmail.com. You can visit our Facebook page. Even though this episode drops on Valentine's Day, I have yet to have written my Valentine's, so I better get cracking on that. <laughs>